This is Heather Vickery with the Brave Files podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 109, the A-Team Movie Review. I'm Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers, caveman himself. You'll find us on Twitter at McBrien or at Amaron underscore DM. That's for Derek. PopCozyWorld.com is the website. And if you get a chance, make sure and leave us an, a review on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Derek, how's your vacation going, my friend? Chris, my vacation is awesome. <laughs> you know, nice. people always say, when you take vacation, you should take two weeks, because the first week, you sort of need to unwind and relax, and then the second week, <laughs> you actually enjoy the vacation. True. This is the first time in a very, very long time I've taken two consecutive weeks off, and this second week has been glorious. <laughs> it has been so good. I've had so much fun on this vacation, and I got a few more days left, and I'm going to milk every bit of fun out of it that I can. It has been great. Have How you, are you doing, Chris? I've been doing. I'm doing great. I cannot complain. Before we get started, I do want to mention if uh, if, you, if you're enjoying the podcast around here, uh, you can go over to podcastawards.com, and nominations are now open for podcast awards, and you can nominate Pop Goes Your World. You can nominate us in the entertainment category. And actually, when you're there, make sure you also nominate uh, all your favorite shows. I'd recommend uh, The Sleeper in the Bust in uh, in the sports category, too, because they're good friends of ours. Uh, Justin does a show over there. But yeah, if you go to podcast award dot, uh, podcastawards.com, uh, there's like a blue button that says nominations now open. You just click on that, and then you just register. They give you like a, they email you a code, and you go in, nominate your favorite shows in all the categories. And while you're there, think of us. That's for sure. Uh, so you're on vacation. Uh, have you been able to fit in any pop culture? Chris, I've been doing nothing but pop culture. <laughs> awesome. No, that's not true. I've been doing a lot of time in the pool, had Good. a few cold beverages, nice. but I've done a lot of pop culture. Uh, I've been getting totally caught up on Batman comics. Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm a big comic book nerd, and uh, I have a giant stack of comic books that go back like three years that I have fallen behind on, and I've been catching up, so that's been great. But I've also seen a few movies. So we went out to the theater and we saw on the same day, actually, because it was raining and we had nothing better to do, the new Toy Story 4 and the new Spider-Man movie, Far From Home. We saw those back to back. Talk about an excellent double feature. Oh, they, they were, were both, both great. Yeah. They were both really good. Uh, I would give them, let's say B plus. They were both quite good. Maybe even Spider-Man, I might give an A minus. I mean, it's a comic book movie. It's a Marvel movie. You sort of have a certain expectation. You sort of have. Often people have a very high expectation with those movies, and I think this one hit all the right buttons. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna change that. Toy Story four, I give a B plus. Spider Man Far From Home, I give an A minus. They were both excellent. And then closer to home, uh, on one of uh, one of the cable channels, I watched a movie called The Bad Times at the El Royale. Have you heard of this one? No, never heard of it. So it's an ensemble piece where you have a you know a handful of like very well known actors and the premises they sort of show up at this strange hotel in the middle of the night and it's raining and like they're all there you don't really know why they're there they all have like double motives and they're all pretending to be other people for it, it reminded me very much 
of Pulp Fiction in the sense that the story is not linear. And as you meet these people, you get flashbacks of sort of who they really are and why they're really there. You can see how the director and the writer, who I believe is the same person, um, was influenced by things like Pulp Fiction. It was good but not great. It had a really good cast. It had a really great idea. Um, I'd give that one probably like a B minus. It was decent, but it was really long. It ran like almost two and a half hours. I had to watch it in two different viewings. Uh, but it was pretty good, all things all things uh, being said. And then uh, finally, just tonight, we will finish watching the recently released season three of Stranger Things. Oh, and how was it? It was great. Have you watched any of the Stranger Things so, seasons? Yes. So I watched season one and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It's very nostalgic, which I love. Oh, capital N nostalgia oh, it's so all good. the way through Oh, this. yeah. And then I started, my wife and I started to watch season two and we got about three episodes in. And then for whatever reason, we fell off. I don't know. I don't think I was enjoying it quite as much. It was good. It was kind of weird with that little... I don't know. It was like this little salamander thing or something. And it was, I don't know. It was, it just, we fell off for some reason. I should probably try and get back to it uh, because I'm hearing season three is great. Yeah, it was, it was really, really good. Um, Again, they've, they've done an excellent job of building on the mythology. They've already established. You have all the characters you already know and time has passed. I mean, with season two, uh, it takes place around Halloween and the new season two came out around Halloween. And then this season three takes place on the July 4th weekend. And hey, who would have known it dropped around the July 4th weekend. So they've done a very good job of coordinating the marketing uh, with real time, even though it takes place in the 80s. Absolutely capital and nostalgia, tons of nostalgia. The look of the 80s, the sound of the 80s, the movies, the pop culture references. Chris, you're an 80s guy. You will love this. Uh, now, I think a lot of people will find things to like in it. But I think someone like you and me who knows a lot more of the stuff gets a lot of those wink, wink, nudge, nudge sort of hidden references that are a lot more subtle. Um, but one of the things I want to mention is the uh, a couple of the main characters work in an ice cream par- parlor called Scoops Ahoy. Now, the Baskin and Robin 31 Flavors chain throughout North America has been rebranded in a lot of locations as Scoops Ahoy because they are one of the corporate sponsors. So if you have a Baskin and Robbins in your neighborhood, take a look at what they are looking like today. And a lot of them are now temporarily called Scoops Ahoy. And all the inside of the store has been redone to look like the show. The employees are dressed in the uniforms like the characters in the show. And uh, yeah, it's it, again, it's just one of those things where someone's done their marketing homework. They've they've latched onto this idea and they've done a really good job. And people who have seen the show and seen the season three are going to see it and be like, oh, my God, this is awesome. I have to go into Baskin and Robbins, even if I wasn't going to anyway. So Baskin yeah, Robbins has like the best ice cream of all time. It's so good. It just tastes different than anywhere else. I don't know what it is. I love that ice cream. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Stranger Things, I give it a solid A. It was great. It's only eight episodes. The final episode, though, was like almost 90 minutes. So you get this really long conclusion. Um, The performers are great. Uh, One of the new actors in it is the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. And once you know that and you see her and you hear her and you watch her mannerisms, you're like, oh, my God, this is like 
Uma Thurman 2.0. Wow. And she's quite good in it. Uh, I mean, all of the performers are good. These young kids, I mean, when you watch, when you watch a show with little kids, you never know what you're going to get, especially now that they've done three seasons of this show. Like some of the actors are going to be better than others, but man, oh man, these kids are becoming great performers. I was not disappointed at all. And I strongly recommend season uh, three of Stranger Things to anyone who is even remotely interested in this I property. Have, I have two quick questions for you on those things, and then we'll get on to our movie. So the first thing was you mentioned Spider-Man Far From Home. And you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, you mentioned that it's a Marvel movie. But we had talked about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU, yes. as being yes. the series of movies that started with Iron Man and ended with yes. Avengers um, Endgame. So does this... Whoa, 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 hold on. Does this follow... I don't want to say ended. It just... That was the most recent one. Oh, I see. So this is a continuation of the MCU. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. So Spider-Man okay. Far From Home takes place... After the events of the most recent two Avengers movies and comments on them in the movie directly and talks about the things that happened in those movies and how they affected the characters in this Spider-Man film. So it's a continuation, I guess. A hundred percent. Okay, I got it. And so like Marvel movies, they've been doing them in what they call phases where each phase sort of has a, a bigger story arc. And I believe that with Avengers Endgame, they ended phase three, and this Spider-Man Far From Home is either the very end of phase three or the beginning of phase four. I'm not 100% sure which one, but it it sort of works as both, as both a postscript to what you saw in Avengers and as a teaser to what's coming next. And I will say, like almost every other single Marvel movie, there is a post-credits scene at the very, very end which is incredibly important to help explain some things that you just watched in Spider-Man and it sets up whatever's coming next. So stick around in the theater. You will not be disappointed. Okay. And the other question that I had was regarding Stranger Things season three is Sean. So one thing I did was like I mentioned, I watched the second season and I liked it. I just, we only, for whatever reason, we fell off. But one thing I liked about it was that they brought Sean Astin into it. I thought he was a very inspired person to bring into that, um, you know, with those connections to the Goonies and stuff like that. Of course. Of course. Um, and, and I, and I, I do like him and was, people say that I look like him. What do you think? <laughs> you are probably, I mean this in the nicest way, Chris, you are probably as fat as him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, for sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, and people have said that to me before. Oh, you look like Sean Astin. I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a Take bad Take it thing. as a compliment. I guess so. But yeah, I probably am as fat as him. Jesus. As long as they're saying Thanks. you don't look like sloth, you're fine. <laughs> exactly. So I got that going for me. Okay. On that note, let's get started. <laughs> Calm blue ocean. Calm blue Calm the ocean. <laughs> There's a lot of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's Smokey and the Bandit oh! shirt for you. <laughs> so, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. Boof from Teen Wolf. Hot as a pistol. Wow. I know. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons nerd. It's a shock that you never got more girls in high school. <laughs> Calm the ocean. Calm the ocean. <laughs> Calm blue ocean. I don't know. That's a lot to unpack, Chris. Give me a second here. <laughs> okay, so this week we are going to take a look at the A Team. That's the not not the the TV series, but the actual 2010 uh, movie that's based on the TV series. You nominated this film, uh, so do you want to maybe just kick things off and just tell me a little bit about why you wanted me to watch this movie, and then we'll start to delve into it. Sure. So, uh, in the 1980s, there was this TV show called The A Team. And it ran for 
five or six or even maybe seven seasons. He ran a long time. It was I think it ran very, from 80, 83 to 87, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was very, very popular. And as a, uh, a young boy, I remember watching the A-Team television series and loving every frame of every episode and thinking it was the greatest thing ever. And it was uh, very well known because Mr. T was one of the characters. And if you were a young boy in the 80s, I mean, Mr. T was awesome. I mean, between the A-Team and Rocky Three, Mr. T was the man. And looking back on it now, you look at that old 80s TV series and it's kind of campy. It's kind of low budge. It's, you know, it, it, it's kind of hokey. But in 2010, they decided to take this idea of what the A-Team represented, which is four military army dudes, characters, whatever you want to call them, who have been falsely accused of a crime and who eventually decide we're not just going to sit in prison and rot. We're going to break out of prison. We're going to clear our names and we're going to do the right thing. And we're going to bring justice to the people that, you know, need to have justice brought to them. And that's basically what happens in this movie. It's an origin story. It's these four war heroes who are at, at the beginning of the movie still enlisted men who are doing – they're like a special forces op and they they do these like crazy adventures. And the whole idea is that they do these jobs that no one else – like think like SEAL Team 6, like that kind of thing. Like they're like special for – I think they're Army Rangers if I remember correctly. And they get sent on you know the most wild and crazy adventures and after this – amazing opening number it sort of flash forwards like a decade it says like 80 missions 80 successful missions later and you get the sense like these guys are larger than life they never fail they just know how to do whatever it is they're asked to do and then following in the footsteps of the tv show they get put on an op where things go wrong they get accused of a crime they get found guilty by the military court martial and they're like whoa, whoa, whoa we did not do these things they find an opportunity to get out of prison and try and clear their names, and that's the rest of the movie. Now, the TV show, like I said, if you look back at it now in the 2019 lens and you look at the 1980s show, it is not great. It does not hold up. There is so much about the show that is just crazy and hokey and like you just – you can't believe that it was popular. So when they did this movie, which is now almost 10 years old. I think they sort of looked at it with somewhat of that same lens. They have these characters that do these incredibly over-the-top things that should never – like you're not looking at this going, this could really happen. None of this could really happen. Like these guys do – they're basically superheroes. Like they do the craziest things and it and it almost always seems to work out for them. But that's part of the fun of the movie is it's drawing on this nostalgia from this old TV show, which most of the movie-going audience would – at least be familiar with and you just turn your brain off and you like it. It's this action movie with these crazy characters that do these awesome things and they try to give it a certain level of respectability but at the same point they're constantly you know, they don't actually look at the camera and go wink wink but they sort of do and as long as you sort of know that coming into it and you don't think that this is going to be the most serious military movie I've ever seen. I would think most people are going to enjoy it, but I know Chris, <laughs> you're going to hate this movie for probably all the opposite reasons I just said. And, uh, 
Anyway, let, let's hear what you have to say, and we'll go back and forth about why you're wrong and why I'm right. Okay, well, that's fine. I have some questions about it, and I have some comments. So the first question I would say that I have regarding this movie is, I, I just want to know why. Like, like why would they make this? I wonder what the motivation was. Um, but before I get into that, I do want to preface this. I did mention this uh, last episode. Um, I, I'm a Gen X guy. I love, you know, Gen X pop culture. But I have to be perfectly honest. I have never seen an episode of the A-Team ever the 80s show that ran from 83 to 87 i've never seen an episode i as a, as a when i was younger i just had no desire to watch it i don't know why it just didn't appeal to me so i never ever watched the show so so i went into this cold i didn't go into this with with an expectation of what the tv series was i i'm familiar with the tv series i know what it's about like i i have some ideas there and we'll get into those um so i have an idea of what it's about going into this movie but other than that like i had no expectations so it wasn't like oh this movie isn't the same or this you know but so i so so I wonder when I watch it, it's, I'm kind of like, why Why would they make this? But I want to touch base on something. So you mentioned the word nostalgic. I would argue that this movie is not nostalgic. Like it really isn't. And that's okay. You know, but the thing is, I don't feel that it is nostalgic toward the 80s show all that much. Um, so then that harkens the second question that I have for you is why, did, why wouldn't they just call it something else? Like call it special ops force. Or something like, and come up with some original characters. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that every single TV show has to be nostalgic, but really, like, why else are you doing a remake of an old TV show then, if you're just going to make it completely new? So, one of the things I liked about this show, about the movie rather, because I, I, you know, again, looking back on the old show, it was terrible. But the 11 year old me that watched this show, probably even younger than that, loved it. And so what I wanted out of this show was give me the four main – like the show was about these four main characters that were quote unquote the A-team. Like that was their designation. Uh, and in the movie, they actually talk about uh, – I think they refer to them as like an alpha team. Apparently, A-team is like an actual designation for like a special forces unit. Uh, yeah, they did, they did really me- yeah, they did mention that. I remember that. Yeah, they said alpha team. Whether they yeah. mentioned that or not, it, it, not overly relevant. No. But in the movie, in the TV show rather – you have these four characters that have come together. You got Hannibal and Face and Murdoch and B.A. And they all bring different things to the team and they all have their quirky personalities and the things they're good at and the things they're bad at and, and you know the reasons you love them and hate them. So for me, you called it the A-team. I want to see this unit of these four guys with these quirks and talents and, and, and abilities and I got exactly what I expected. Again, I didn't have a perfect memory of the old TV show but I sort of knew who was who. I knew that, you know, the, uh, you know, the guy who was played by Bradley Cooper, the uh, face, he's the, he's the pretty boy. He's the, he's the guy who usually is the, the talker of the group when you need to go up to people you don't know and try and convince them. Like he was the, he's, he was, he's, he's popular the, with the ladies. Yeah. He was the literal face of the party when they needed to, to negotiate something or infiltrate something. And you see him do this numerous times in the movie. You have Murdoch, who's the crazy, he's certifiably insane, but he's like apparently this incredible pilot. Uh, you have B.A., who's the, like sort of the lowest military rank in the group, but he's like the bruiser guy. And, and he's got the fear of flying, which was always sort of the running gag of the show. And in the movie, they, they tried to establish like why as an airborne ranger, he would have a fear of flying. So they tried to do that in the beginning. Uh, I don't necessarily think they did a great job of it, but it worked. And then you have... Um, uh, um, oh my god, Liam Neeson's character whose name is Hannibal and he, he, the whole thing was he always had a plan he loves it when a plan comes, that was his thing I love it when a plan comes together, you got his catchphrase and the idea was 
he could he could analyze a situation and then come up with a plan. And as someone who reads Batman comics, like this is how they have interpreted Batman over the last 15 to 20 years where no matter what happens, Batman has a plan. There's always a contingency. If the bad guys do this, Batman does that. And so when I watched this, a part of me was like, oh, well, that's that's exactly what they're doing here. They're saying no matter what happens, Hannibal has anticipated this could happen. So I have taken these steps to counter that or I have, uh, you know, come up with this this incredible plan. And, and again, it was just that stems from the TV show where every week they had some situation where, oh, my God, how's the A team going to possibly get out of this? Hannibal goes, oh, I got a plan. And they they do something, they build something and suddenly, hey, the plan worked because Hannibal's awesome and he figured it out. So I don't know. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Like. You talk a little bit more about this movie. It, uh, okay. I imagine you didn't love it, but tell no. me why you didn't love it. Well, I, I, I guess first of all, and I know this is the old man in me who just yells at people to get off my lawn. But I guess one of the things that, that struck me about it is, is this question of when did movies get so freaking fast paced? Like just it, it, this whole movie just seems like it's just a bit much. You know, like it's just it, it's instead of a movie, it, it it feels more like a series of fast paced scenes as opposed to like a coherent film. And for me, it, it was really hard to believe that a movie that had so much action in it, so many explosions, so much going on visually could be so boring. But in a way, it was for me. I found myself drifting off at times and not really even engaging with the story. At one point, my wife and I were having a conversation and I was like, I was like, oh no, I, I got to watch this movie for the podcast. And I'm like, well, actually, I'm pretty cool with it. Like, like it was, I was kind of like getting <laughs> bored by it and I, and I shouldn't have been because the action is just coming at you like a machine gun fire, right? It felt like it was taking an old 80s show and injecting adrenaline into it. And, and like you mentioned with the characters, I think that was the one kind of, that was the only real plot you know, sort of uh, device that was going on in the film was that you've got these four unique characters. They got cool names. They each have cool quirks and cool character traits. And that was the kind of thing that holds the movie together. But other than that, it was just a bunch of like really, really fast paced scenes. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't think it was all that great. Again, I, I now maybe I would have felt differently if I'd, you know, connected with the show when I was younger back in the 80s. But um, but yeah, I just I felt it just to be like just like bang 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 like stuff and and there wasn't a whole lot really going on. Was this like an origin film? Is that what this was supposed to be? What what what, what these so. millennials I mean, call origin films? Yeah, I think I think the idea was if this movie is successful, they could in theory do many sequels. And the end of this movie is clearly left wide open for a sequel, uh, deliberately so. Unfortunately, the movie didn't do well enough financially that I, I don't think they're ever going to come back to this. And unfortunately for them, Bradley Cooper has become such an A++++ list star that I don't think they could afford him. The only way they're going to get him back is if he had so much fun doing this that he's like, yeah, I'll come back. No problem. Maybe they give him like a co-writing credit. He gets to be like mm-hmm. uh, you know part of the driving force behind this story. But it had a lot of good cameos from other actors or even, even the supporting cast I thought was great. So – I'm going to counteract what you said, where you're like, yeah, sorry, sorry, I just want to jump in for yes. one second too, because I just, maybe I should rephrase that. And when sure. I mentioned it's an origin film, is this supposed to be the origin story of the A team? Because not having watched the the TV show, I don't know. This felt like is this set? Was this movie? As millennials always call it, this is an origin story. You know, yeah, like like sure. this is how they formed. This is what they were all about. This almost takes place before the TV series. Does that make sense? 
Uh, yes and no. So you're absolutely right. This is the origin story. Yeah. It has been thought. up. It has been updated for the new generation. So in the 80s, they were Vietnam vets and they were framed for robbing a bank. And in this new movie, they're Iraq war vets and they're framed for stealing uh, printing plates for making for printing counterfeit U.S. money. So it's sort of a similar idea, but it's they've raised the stakes for the 30 year gap, like 30 years later, robbing a bank is is not going to get them the notoriety uh, that that would be necessary for them to do the things they've done. But in this movie, it's all about these these printing plates where they could literally print billions of counterfeit dollars, which could have huge ramifications on the worldwide economy. So those stakes are now high enough that you send them all to jail and that they feel we need to break out of jail to clear our names, find these plates, determine who the real bad guys are and set things right. Partly, partly to clear their names, but partly because they're, you know, they're us soldiers through and through, and they must do the right thing for America. Our currency can't be counterfeit because it would have all these terrible implications. Um, but yeah, it, it's okay. got parallels to the original, TV show, but it's been updated for the 2010 audience, which is when the movie came out. Okay, and but you were going to ask me something about uh, the the fast pace, the, yes. the action, and stuff like that. So. so, to me, that's a big part of what I liked. This movie is, you know, six or seven awesome action sequences that are sewn into the bigger story. It's almost like okay. We're going to create a movie and it's got to have a scene where they have this amazing uh, chopper chase at the beginning. Then they have a scene where they need to recover these plates and it's all about this shoot them up in the financial districts in Germany. Then they got to have a scene where they're at the dock. It's almost like they've, they, you know, again, I don't know this for sure, but maybe when the writers were sitting around, they said, these are some great action sequences we can do. How do we weave these into the story in a way that makes sense or at least that's you know, you go from A to B to C to D, and these action sequences are sewn into that in a way that that brings the story forward. And but I think me, that I'm doesn't that go that. doesn't that go back to what I was saying earlier though about how it, it feels like it's more a series of just these fast paced sequences rather than like like a, a, a coherent film. But the, the I'm okay with that. Like that that's pretty much what the yeah. show was like, and I'm good with yeah, that. I mean, or, it is what it is. It is what you're right. It is what it is. I mean, like I, I certainly understand that it was supposed to be uh, cartoonish, especially the timing of everything. Like as you mentioned, they just get away with stuff. Like they happen to just slide under the truck at just the right moment, and everything's timed perfectly, and and that's okay because it's done in a cartoonish, you know, kind of way, and 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 that's okay, you know, because it, it is kind of one of those kind of mindless you know, action films for that reason. And it's done a little, it's really over the top and, and it, and of course, it, and it's all done kind of tongue in cheek and over the top, which, which I can appreciate, which is, which is all good. Um, the one thing I will say is I did appreciate at the very, very beginning of it. I felt that there was a bit of a blend of the old and the new because the van is definitely the old. It's got oh, like that sure. old van, but the new was the music when they're driving. It was playing like new or like rap music, like from today. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and so, so I thought that that was kind of you know an interesting thing. Um, another thing too that I always, again, not having seen the original TV show, um, but I always heard about it was that they they people never got killed. So 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 in, in the original TV series, I guess people never died. Like people would get sh- there'd be gunshots, but you wouldn't see people getting shot and killed because you know I mean 
that's probably the only way they can get it past the censors, you know, back in the 80s on TV, right? Absolutely. So I don't know. I was looking, kind of looking for that here, but I did see people getting shot, you know, because now you can, you know, you can get away with a little bit more. It's still, the movie was still PG. Yeah, I was but, just about to say, the movie was rated PG-13 or PG, depending on yeah. if you're in Canada or U.S. So with with a PG rating, you potentially open the door to a wider audience and can bring more people through the turnstiles and collect more money. But you can't show blood. So even though, to your point, people are getting shot left, right, and center, uh, you're not seeing like these massive gross bullet wounds where people are clearly just being blown apart and killed. You see some blood when people get like punched in the face and stuff. Oh my God, I got a fat lip. I got a bloody lip. You punch me in the face. But then the guy takes six bullets to the chest and there's not a drop of blood. And that's just the way that PG movies are. And you accept that going in. Now, if this had been restricted, then I think you, you get that allowance and you make the movie a little bloodier, a little grittier, but they knew what they wanted. They wanted to hearken back to that old TV show where, yeah, Everybody's got a machine gun. Everybody's shooting at everybody else. And you see guys falling down. No blood anywhere. It's like, that's just the way the A-team works. I guess my take on it was that it's loud and it's fast-paced. And like I said, it's really over the top. But it all feels a bit empty. That, that's my, that was just well, kind of my takeaway from it. I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta disagree with you on that one. I mean, I just, I, I thought this delivered to me on every, on every level that I wanted it to. I know that its critical review was sort of mixed. Some people liked it, some people didn't. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at the IMDb. It scores six point eight. Usually, a seven is usually sort of an average score, so a little below average. But this is one of those ones for me where. You know, I've seen it a dozen times. Every time it shows, it was literally on TV earlier this week. I was getting ready to queue it up. I had the DVD. I was going to put the DVD in and watch it. And it was happened to be on TV as it is. I got to think at least once a month, this movie's on TV. And I'm like, oh, great. Let's just watch the opening sequence, which I think is fantastic. And then it's like, well, you know, now that I've watched the opening sequence, let's watch the next 20 minutes. Oh, hey, this is a big action scene, too. Okay, okay, now the action scene's over. Well, you know what? There's another action scene coming up in five more minutes. Why don't we <laughs> yeah. just wait and watch that? The next thing you know, two hours have gone by, and it's like, I just watched the whole movie again. And, uh, yeah, I, I really, really enjoy this. You mentioned something. You started to talk a little bit about cameos and stuff. And so after I watched the movie, I was looking up the credits, and I saw that um, the actors that played Murdoch and Faceman in the TV show both made cameos. Now, I, I didn't catch either of them when I watched it. Now, I wouldn't have recognized Murdoch because I never watched the TV show, um, but I definitely would have recognized Face Man. I would have thought because it was Starbuck from Battlestar yeah. Galactica. It was Dirk Battle Benedict, Galactica. right? And, yeah. But I, but I didn't spot him in the movie. I'd have to go back and find. Yeah. Did so, George Did George Papard do a do a cameo? So in unfortunately, George Papard had passed away before they made this. Okay. So all so in a way, all of the main casts were connected in some way. So um, to your point, though. The actors that you mentioned did shoot cameo scenes, both of which were cut in the theatrical release. But in the director's cut, which is only slightly longer, their uh, their scenes are put in. So um, I can tell you where they are. So when um, Bradley Cooper's character is in prison and he goes into the tanning salon. Mm-hmm. There is supposed there was a small scene where when he first comes in, somebody's already using the facilities and it's the original face, the actor who played the original face. And he has a conversation about him. He's like, hey, I've got this cream. And he goes, I know it's good for body, but is it good for the face? And the other guy sort of has this line where he says something like, 
always take care of the face, buddy, or something like that. It's some little quirky joke about face because that obviously that's their nickname. So, but again, that was cut from the theatrical release. Oh, that's why. Okay, so so I I just I, I guess I didn't watch the director's cut to see that scene. So yeah. that makes sense because I was wondering like where was that? I don't remember. I would have yeah. seen Dirk Benedict. Like I would have recognized exactly, him. exactly. And then for um, for Murdoch, it was when he's in the psychiatric facility before they rescue him. Uh, before the scene where the team comes to rescue him, he's going through like shock therapy and it's not having any effect on him. And the doctors are having a conversation behind like one way glass where they're like, we keep upping the dosage, upping the, the amperage on this uh, on this shock therapy. And like it's not having any effect on him. What are we possibly going to do? And of course, they all look to the head doctor who is played by Dwight Schultz, who was the um, – the original uh, actor who played um, Murdoch, and he, he again, he has some little quirk about it. So again, they both had this appearance, and they're only available. You're only going to see those scenes in the director's cut. Oh, with okay. And George Picard had obviously passed away by the time they did this movie. And no, Mr. And T. Mr. T. They apparent again. I'm just going from what I read on the internet. They asked him to do a cameo, and he said, "Look, if I don't get to play B. A. Baracus." I don't want to be in the movie. And they're like, of course you don't get to play Beria Baracus, but we're going to give you a chance to do some little throwaway line. He's like, no, I'm not interested because, you know, yeah, he's got sense, so yeah. much work right now. He had nothing better. He, you know, he couldn't <laughs> free himself up. Yeah. From his um, busy schedule. Yeah. Of doing nothing. In, um, <laughs> in the scene where they're in the, when Murdoch's in the uh, mental hospital yep. and they send in the movie, the 3D movie where they're all like movie, movie. And they watch the 3D movie. That was an old if episode you, of the show. Well, it was Wasn't it? it was filmed to be like the show. Okay. And if you look at it, it says starring and it, the starring, the names that are starring are all like variations of the names of the characters played by George Papard and Mr. T and oh, a bunch okay. of the others. So, again, it was a little wink, wink right. to those who are in the know. Um, and that was how they were able to because they wanted to obviously play. They wanted pay to do a nod to homage it, yeah. to yeah. the. The actors that made this even possible. So speaking of Mr. T for a second, so the, the B.A. Baracus character, um, first of all, did they, they don't really acknowledge what the B.A. stands for. Didn't they call him, uh, they, they called him something, they acknowledged him. Bosco. They, they Bosco, him. that was it, yeah. yeah. But so what's, again, what's the all, A stand for? All harkens back to the original show. So the B.A. stands for bad attitude, and he even talks about that in the movie. He's like, Bosco's got a bad attitude. And apparently that all goes back to the old show that – his name is really Bosco, and the B.A. stands for Bad Attitude. I didn't really like the actor that played him. I'll be honest yeah, with you. I, I, I thought he was really like poorly those. cast. Yeah. Like maybe yeah. if someone like Terry Crews would have done it, like I think he would have been good instead. And the other thing was, so I didn't like the actor that did it. And I also, where was the neck full of gold? The whole point, yeah. Mr. T is the neck full of gold. I always say it to my wife, uh, even at Christmas time. She's like, honey, what would you like for Christmas this year? And I'm like, easy, one thing, neck full of gold. And she's like, just, <laughs> just, she's like, just stop, just stop being an idiot. But I'm like, that's what I want. I want a neck full of gold. Uh, but, but no, there's no neck full of gold on BA Baracus. That's the whole point of BA Baracus, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was definitely worked into his previous character. And I mean, the guy they have now, Rampage Jackson, he's an MMA fighter, which. Is part of the reason they cast him is they wanted a guy who could actually make the fight scenes look more uh, realistic, if you will. I mean, not that fights in movies are realistic, but you bring a guy in who's a professional fighter. You hope that he can bring something to it that gives it some credibility. Did Mr. T um, do a lot of fighting in the old TV? More just like punch him out, punch yeah. him in the face kind of thing. Okay. Um, I did read in the, in the uh, movie trivia on the IMDb that th there was a long list of people that either – auditioned for the movie and didn't get it or that they reached out to 
who for whatever reason turned it down and a lot of them were big muscular dudes who could fight or actors who had like really solid acting chops who they just didn't feel uh, were physically big enough to do the role and again off the top of my head I cannot think of any of them I don't want to misquote it but if you're at all interested go to the IMDB and look up the trivia and there is oodles and oodles of trivia and a lot of it talks about this person was considered to be cast and this person and for the BA role the list goes on and on and on it's basically every actor of color that is even in the marginal size category they're like either they wanted them or he auditioned, and at the end of the day, this is the guy they went with. And and I know at the very beginning, he puts his hand up, and it's got a tattoo that says pity. And then a little, just a couple seconds later, he puts up the other hand, and it says fool. So I thought yeah. that, that was, that was, that was kind of cool. But my, even my wife pointed out, like, like, we're watching the movie, and she's like, he doesn't even say, I pity the fool. Like, no. he, he doesn't really say that in, in, in the movie at all. Um, which, I don't know, I, I, I'm not saying I, he I, has I to remember, say it, but... I, yeah, I honestly don't remember how much that was said in the show, but given how prominent that is in the memory of pop culture, I got to think he said it in the show. And it wasn't just something he said as as an actor, as a, as a character, as a right. person. Maybe it was just more of a Mr. T thing than a B.A. Baracus thing. I don't know. Uh, but I mean, I thought that the part like and then he he gets to the point where he can't kill like he's a pacifist. Remember, he's like reading like the book on Gandhi. And then all of a sudden it's like he kills someone. And it's like he pulls off his hood and it's, oh, he's got a mohawk again. Oh, OK, he can kill again. Like, I don't know. Ah, I know it's all over the top and stuff, but I don't know. I, I did yeah. not like the B.A. Baracus character. I would say of, of all of the characters story arcs throughout this movie, the B.A. character was the one that I cared the least for and felt the least interested in. I, I really wanted to see. All of the, all of the other three characters, I wanted to see where they went. I mean, I felt of all of them, Bradley Cooper's character seemed to have the most growth. In that, it's like he was the student he had been working under Liam Neeson's character for all this time, and he was clearly doing it in the way a student should. He was learning from the master, and then at the end of the movie, when they're like, "We need a plan," he's like, "Guys, I have a plan." And and to me, that was like a good uh, demonstrative. Uh, story arc growth of the character and again I mean I love Bradley Cooper I have a Superman crush on Bradley Cooper I'd watch that guy do I'd watch him read the phone book like I think he's great and that might make this a little biased but I gotta think given where he was in his career in 2010 he probably pushed a little bit to say like if I'm gonna be in this movie you've gotta show me a character that actually has uh, at least a marginal growth potential so that by the end of the movie something has happened beyond what was happening at the beginning of the movie. And I don't really feel that any of the other characters got there, but I felt that of all of them, his was the one that, that showed the most potential. Was this one of, this was one of his first big movies that he wasn't a big star at this point, right? Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure how many movies he had been in by that point. What year was that? 2010. So he'd already done the hangover, I guess. So that was a big one. Yeah. I'm just looking now. So yeah, the hangover in 2009, uh, but nothing else really huge. Uh, then not long after that, he does Limitless, which, again, one of my guilty pleasures. I love that movie. I love the TV show it spawned. Uh, Hangover 2 shortly after that. A bunch of other things you never heard of. Silver Lining Playbooks 2012, which I believe got him an Oscar nomination. He was really uh, good in that. He he, he was miscast. Yeah, yeah, he was miscast a bit, I felt, in Silver Linings Playbook. And so was she. They were both too good looking for those parts. But I thought yeah, he was yeah. really good in it. And I thought American Hustle he was really good in, too. Yeah. I like yeah, his American I, I Sniper I like his, 2014. Yeah. Like he made 
for every good choice he made, I found that there's almost like one or two bad choices. But I mean, as part of the Marvel universe, he's the voice of Rocket Raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy, which I know you haven't seen. But as just a voice actor, he brings so much to that character and really makes you feel that a computer generated walking raccoon with a gun is one of your favorite characters in this movie, largely because of the voice performance by Bradley Cooper. Okay, so speak. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, that was it. I'm I was just kidding. so speaking of other people that were in the movie, um, Gerald McRady was in it, which I thought he jumped out to me because that was a real connection with the '80s because he was from Simon and Simon and Major Dad. Major Dad. Yeah. So I thought it was kind of neat to see see him in there. We were talking about that. We said, "Oh, we were talking about all the actors in it." And I'm like, "Major Dad's in it," and it's like everybody I talked to knew exactly who I talked about. I'm like, "Anyone know what Major Dad's real name is?" And everyone's like, "No." We all knew him as Major Dad. I was having some trouble following the story, as I mentioned earlier. And another guy that was in it was John Hamm at the end makes an appearance. He's like the lynch. Like, I I didn't really understand what happened there. Do you know? So it seems that the CIA always gives their agents the code name Lynch because earlier in the movie, Major Dad even says, he goes, I knew a lynch in Cambodia in 1968 or any relation. And he's like, no, no relation. So it sort of implied Uh, that Lynch was the code name of their Uh, agents because – at the very end, when they come for Patrick Wilson, they say, are you blah, blah, blah? And they use his what you expect to be his real name, which is not Lynch. And he sort of looks at them like, how do you know that name? And then when John Hamm comes in, he goes, hi, I'm Agent Lynch. Or he says, oh, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they go, what's your name? He goes, Agent Lynch. And you're like, oh, OK, you're another one of these guys. And I got to think if they made a sequel, he would potentially be in it. John Hamm would potentially be in it as the new Lynch, which is the CIA representative. So – Unfortunately, doesn't look like they're going to make this sequel, which to me is a little disappointing. But I have a lot of fun watching this one over and over again. So I'm good. Another actress that I have never seen in a movie before was Jessica Biel. I I had heard about her. I think my wife said, oh, she was in like Seventh Heaven or some TV show. But I'd never seen her in anything. I'm familiar with her. You know, like I've heard of her before and so on. But I'd never seen her in anything before because I just watched you know, Gen X stuff over and over again, right? But uh, she's insanely beautiful. Like, she's uniquely beautiful, I think. Yeah. She was she was striking to me. Like, I was like, wow, what, what, a, what a uniquely beautiful uh, woman. Oh, my God. She was, so she kind of jumped off the screen. But uh, I don't know. She also seemed a little bit out of place at times in the film. I don't know. The whole thing, like I, like I said, I think it just goes back to the fact that I was having trouble uh, kind of just keeping my interest in this thing, and which which shouldn't have been the case, I guess, because it was just so over the top and it was so busy and stuff. It should have. Murdoch uh, was the guy from District Nine, wasn't he? Yes, absolutely. He yeah, was. That also, because yeah. that, that was like the very first millennial movie that Yancey ever made me watch. Back on like episode Which 36. I'm going to yeah. guess, if I remember correctly, you didn't care for it that much? Actually, I liked District 9. I thought it was okay, one good. Of, I thought it was one of the best movies that Yancey made me watch, actually. I thought it was really good. It was quite good. Yeah, no, I thought it was really good. But uh, overall, like I said, um, there, I didn't find there was a lot of nostalgia in this. There was a lot of action, but I didn't find it to be cohesive. I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming that you liked it more as a kind of a popcorn movie. Because, I mean, you're a bit of, oh, a, for you're, sure. you're a, bit of a movie snob. You know, really. <laughs> I mean that in the how nicest so? way. How so? I mean that in the nicest way because because you you generally like like more um, I don't know more serious film. For you to like this one, it just seems odd to me. It just I don't know. It's an entertaining film, I guess. Okay, but. so let me throw this out to you then. The movie Armageddon, 
which in one of our previous trivias, you had all these trivia questions about the actors from Armageddon with Bruce Willis. Yep. I love that movie. It is, again, it's one of my guilty pleasure movies. It is so over the top and phony baloney, and there's so many bad things about it, but it is so quotable. There's all these great lines. There's all these, like, over the top. It's Michael Bay. I mean, Michael Bay is known for one thing, explosions. Explosions! Like, Mm -hmm. if it's a movie with explosions, and you're not sure who directed it, and you guess Michael Bay nine times out of ten, you're probably right. And so, yeah, it's there's, there's a lot of movies like that that for me, it's just you turn your brain off, you watch the movie, you enjoy the explosions and the action scenes and, and the over-the-top whatever, and you just accept it for what it is. You don't look at it and go, will this win an Oscar? Because who are we kidding? Short <laughs> of special effects, there's no chance it's going to win an Oscar. But that's not why I'm watching it. I'm watching it because it's entertaining. And this, to me, with this this AT movie, falls sort of into that category as well. It has a couple of great actors it's got Liam Neeson and Bradley Cooper, both of whom have been nominated for Oscars. They're great actors. And they're not given Oscar performances in this one. They're just having fun with it. And you know what? When I watch it, I'm having fun with it too. So let yeah. me ask you this, Chris. Yep. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Way back, one of the very first podcasts you and Yancey did mm-hmm. was about best opening sequences in a movie. And yes. I think like Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. was one of your top ones because, I mean, that one's great. Oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is the what best What did you opening. think of this one? It runs about 20 minutes. The whole scene where you get to meet all four characters and they end up in the helicopter chase. What did you think of this one? It's funny that you mentioned that because you, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about this because you mentioned this a couple times in the podcast already this week. Um, talking about this opening sequence and the opening sequence and I'm just trying to rack my brain about it and it didn't really jump out to me that much. It, were they in the, the the desert with the Mexicans, they were going to shoot them or something, yeah. and then they left, and then, and then, I, 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 again, they go to the hospital and they get Murdoch, and you get the helicopter, and they have that bizarre chase, which is so phony baloney, but so much fun to watch. Yeah, I guess uh, it just kind of all blends. Like, like I said, I guess it's more of just scene after scene after scene of stuff, where as opposed to something that really drives the story. Um, whereas in Raiders of Lost Ark, the opening sequence just is just so unbelievably memorable and it just drives the story in such a way that it introduces the characters instead of showing what the characters um, are like in a, in a kind of cartoonish way. The opening of Raiders, uh, to me, shows you what the characters like in how they react to the situation. So then you realize just how unpredictable this Indiana Jones is, you know, in this situation. Um but in this one, it's a little. I, I, it sounds crazy. I only watched the movie last night. The opening scene is a little bit forgettable to me already. Wow, I know. Isn't that crazy? Okay, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Just being honest, like, yeah, okay. I, I'm a little surprised at that because, uh, like I said, when this movie, when I see it in the lineup coming up next, you know, coming up next, A Team, the movie from 2010. I'm like, okay, I'm watching this first 25 minutes because, to me, I love it. It's great. It establishes who these characters are. It gives you this interesting way on how they all met. And I love it. I think it's great. Well, there you go. If you had to give it a rating out of 10, what would you give it? Hmm. What did you you say? You said that uh, online it got a 6.8? The IMDb gave it a 6.8. I'd probably give it like maybe a seven and a half. Oh, wow. Leaning towards an eight, but I I don't think I'd give it an eight. Let's say seven and a half, but it is what it is. Like you give it the, the score understanding the context coming into it. So, I, yeah, I, I think seven and a half is probably where I'm landed on the AT movie. There you go. Okay. Probably give what it, about you? I'd probably give it a five. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> on that note, though, how about we have some fun with Caveman? Mm. 
Okay, so since this week's movie is based on a TV series, I'm going to stick with the obvious theme for this week's segment, okay? So it's trivia-based, should be easy. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give you the synopsis of a movie, and you just name the movie. Are these movies all based on a TV show? The common thread here is that all of these movies are based on TV shows. Okay. Make it okay. easy. So you're going to be able to have some sort of framework to put it in. So I give you the, right. the synopsis. You just name the movie. Keeping in mind, the movie's based on a TV show, okay? All right. I, I, my goal here is to get a perfect score. Yeah. And you, you should do well. I, I will also say that I'm probably going to be able to, well, embarrassingly or not, admit that I have seen almost every one of the ones on your list. I'm going to start off with some easy ones. I'm going to try and trip you up with a couple. We'll see if I can get there or not. Okay. Okay. Let's let's do it. The first synopsis. Incompetent police detective Frank Drebin must foil an attempt to assassinate Queen Elizabeth II. That is the naked gun. Yes. Can you possibly also give me the full the f- name? From the files of Police Squad. Very, very good. Oh, yes. Based on the, the and six. I have seen that one. So I'm one I'm on one both sides of that. You've seen, have you seen the six episodes of the TV show, Police Squad? I have not, but I have oh, seen God, The Naked so Gun. Good. Oh, God. 20, what is it? 22 and a half, two and a half and 33 and a third. I've right. seen all the Naked you Gun movies. You need to watch. It, 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 it was a TV show that obviously spawned because of Airplane. And it was in yes. 1982, six episodes and it got canceled. But the six episodes are some six of the funniest episodes ever in television history. They were so good. Oh, my God. They were so good. Okay. Next one. Two streetwise cops bust criminals in their red and white Ford Grand Torino. With the help of a police snitch called Huggy Bear. Nice. Uh, this one was Starsky and Hutch. I have not seen the remake because I'm not a big fan of Ben Stiller. Yeah, but it is Starsky and Hutch. You are correct. Okay, next one. On his latest expedition, Dr. Rick Marshall is sucked into a space-time vortex alongside his research assistant and a redneck survivalist. In this alternate universe, the trio make friends with a primate named Chaka, their only ally in a world full of dinosaurs and other fantastic creatures. What's the movie? I'm not 100% sure of the title, but I think the movie starred Will Ferrell, and I think it was called... I haven't seen it. I think it was called Forbidden Planet? No, I'm sorry. It was Land of the Lost. Land of the Lost. No, based on that, based it. on the show, oh, the show with Wesley Ure, Kathy Coleman, and of yep. course the great Spencer Milliken. Oh man, I, just, I, I don't know any of those names you just oh, said. God. I used to watch that show when I was a kid. Oh, every Saturday morning, I loved it. Okay, Doctor Richard. Sorry, did Will Ferrell though star in the remake? Was that? Yeah, Will Ferrell was in the. Yeah, okay. In the remake. So I, I'm crap. picturing the right thing. I yeah. just called it the wrong thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Doctor Richard Kimball, unjustly accused of murdering his wife must find the real killer while being the target of a nationwide manhunt led by a seasoned U.S. Marshal. Yeah, I, I, I love this movie. It's, um, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on here. It's a fugitive. Harrison Ford. Yes, it is. And it is probably Tommy one of... Jones won an Oscar. Oh, it is probably one of the best movies ever based on a TV show in it the history. It is so, oh, so, so good. So good. Oh, so good. Yeah. Okay, four horror and science fiction segments directed by four famous directors, each of them being a new version of a classic story from the landmark TV series. Was that, it's kind of a vague description, but I'm going to guess the Twilight Zone. 
Yes, it's Twilight Zone the movie from 1983. Very good. So now, is that the one where one of the remade episodes is the one where the guy's on the plane and he sees the monster on the wing and it's yes. John Lithgow? It's John Lithgow in the original right. TV series. In the original, it was William, it was William Shatner. Shatner. Yep. And then... There, so did you ever watch the show Third Rock from the Sun? Uh, no. No, I'm familiar. I, I never familiar really watched it, but yeah. I do remember someone was showing me an episode where um, John Lithgow and and uh, uh, Captain Kirk, what's his name? William Shatner, mm-hmm. are, are they're both in some of the same episodes together. Oh, cool. And at one point they talk about their fear of air travel. And, they both <laughs> say, and the one guy says to him, it's like, well, I was on a plane one time and all I could see on the wing was this guy doing this thing. He's like, me too. So sort of this. <laughs> Wink, wink, like because yeah. they were both in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, very, very nice. cool. I like uh, John Lithgow. I've never seen uh, Third Rock from the Sun, but I love John Lithgow. He was so good. Uh, I liked him in uh, in Footloose, and I really, really liked him in The World According to Garp. Okay, here's another one. Thinking he can overshadow an unknown actress in the part, an egocentric actor unknowingly gets a witch cast in an upcoming television remake of a classic sitcom. I think this is another Will Ferrell one. I think it was Bewitched. You are correct. Very good. Okay. The equally I have not seen that movie, by the me way. Me neither. Me neither. Uh, the equally straight-laced and by-the-book nephew of Joe Friday must work with his more laid-back partner to solve a mystery. This one I have seen. This was Dragnet. Yes, it was. Very good. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and, yep. uh, and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks? Yep. Okay, a security guard's dreams come true when he is selected to be transformed into a cybernetic police officer. Wow. This Sorry, this is a remake of a TV show? It is. I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. Yeah, I'm going to need a hint. It was an animated TV show, but it was a live action movie. Uh, sorry, can you read me the description again? A security guard's dreams come true when he's selected to be transformed into a cybernetic police officer. Wow. I, I want to say RoboCop, but I don't think that was based on a cartoon. No, it was Inspe- I, I Inspector no Gadget. Inspector oh, Gadget. Oh, yeah. of course. With Matthew Broderick. Yeah, based on I that. I've not uh, seen it. Heard it sucked. Based Did on, not like the cartoon. Yeah, based on the Canadian cartoon with Don Adams. Okay. A rookie officer is teamed with a hardened pro at the California Highway Patrol. Though the newbie soon learns his partner is really an undercover fed investigating a heist that may involve some crooked cops. Yeah, so this remake I have seen, it's called Chips. <laughs> and it was actually really funny. Was it, good? it was really good. I really liked it. I I didn't even know they made a, a movie yeah, of this. Yeah, it's got uh, Michael Pena and... Uh, my God, I can't think of the other guy's name, but uh, uh, yeah, they were. It was really good. It had a lot of laughs in it. It was way better than it had any right to be. I thought this is gonna be the dumbest movie ever, and believe me, it was dumb. But it had some pretty good parts in it. Oh, there you go. Okay, an American agent under false suspicion of disloyalty must discover and expose the real spy without the help of his organization. Wow. We've already said The Fugitive, so it's not that. Um, the original series wow. ran from 66 to 73. Starred Peter Graves and Barbara Bain. Peter Graves. Well, I know Peter Graves and Mission Impossible, so I'm going to say Mission Impossible. <laughs> Yay! Hey! I helped you out. There you go. It was either Mission Impossible or Biography, and that didn't yep. sound like Biography. Okay, an imprisoned drug kingpin offers a huge cash reward to anyone that can break him out of police custody 
and only the LAPD's Special Weapons and Tactics team can prevent it. I have seen this remake. It was called SWAT. Yes! Uh, there you go. And I okay. like it. This one was good. Uh, again, it was what it was. Action, shoot 'em up adventure. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Okay. Maxwell Smart is recalled to duty to help fight a villain who threatens to detonate a weapon that destroys clothing. Uh, that just sounds dumb, but uh, Max, Maxwell Smart was in Get Smart, so I'm going to say Get Smart. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I knew you were going to go there because they did make a Get Smart movie with um, with Steve Carell, I believe they yeah. did a couple years ago. And Anne Hathaway, wasn't it? Yeah. No, this one was a 1980 movie called The Nude Bomb. Yeah, that sounds stupid. Oh, it was so funny. Oh, I, I, I invalidate that question because the movie just sounds dumb. This guy, the bad guy, comes up with this bomb that he's going to drop and it's going to make everyone become naked. And so it's Maxwell Smart. Vict- Vittorio Gassman is in it with these thimbles on his fingers and this stocking over his head. He plays the bad guy. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Oh, okay. I, just, I had to get that one in there. And one last one. Oh, I think you, okay. you, you could probably get this one. A yep. Week in the Life of Chuck Barris who lives through a series of outrageous competitors, stressful situations, a nervous breakdown, and other comical characters involved in his life and work on the TV show of the same name. Name the movie. So I know there was a movie about Chuck Barris called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind with uh, Oscar Award winners Sam uh, Rockwell and George Clooney, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that's the answer you're looking for, is it? It's not, no. Then uh, he was on the gong show. So I'm going to say the gong show. Uh, I can't quite give it to you. It's the gong show movie. And it came out in 1980. Come on. I get half points for that. Ah, Maybe I'll give you half points for it. I guess that's good enough. But uh, yeah, it's an old one. But yeah, that came out and it was like, it's just a stupid movie. And he was like in the desert and stuff. Oh, it was so dumb. Um, But anyway, so you did pretty good. So overall, you only got a couple wrong. So not bad. So last week you won a, a DVD of Titanic too. I got nothing for you this week. <laughs> maybe I'll send you. Maybe I'll send you a T-shirt from the podcast or something like that. I mean, fair like, enough. Fair enough. Right, I'll do that. Hey, I want to let you know. A, a while yeah. back, you got me a Smokey and the Bandit T-shirt. Yes, I did. And I've worn it a few times. I had a we had a party, uh, a pool party last weekend, and mm-hmm. uh, there was a bunch of people I hadn't seen in a long time came over, and I wore that T-shirt. And oh my god, I couldn't believe how many people commented. Oh my god, it's the greatest T-shirt I've ever seen. <laughs> see, so I kept go. saying, I go, well, good buddy, got it for me, Smokey the Bandit. Here we go. So thank <laughs> you again for that. It's a conversation piece. I was wearing mine the other day when I took my son to baseball, and like I don't, I probably three or four other parents came up to me. Oh my god, that's the greatest T-shirt ever. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I know. What nice. can I say? Um, okay, so uh, next week I guess I got to nominate a film for us to watch. So I'm going to go back to one of my favorite movies of all time. I can't believe I've I, we I've talked about this movie all the time on here, but we've never actually covered it on the on the podcast. But we're going to go all the way back to 1979. It's Bill Murray's first film, shot on location, by the way, about an hour from my house. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be doing Meatballs. Finally, finally, we're going to go back. So I make you watch Meatballs from 1979. We're going to come back and we're going to talk all about that movie and see if it held up and all that kind of stuff and just talk about the movie in general. But um, I tell you what, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you will find Derek at Amaron underscore DM. You're going to find me at C McBrien. As I mentioned before, the uh, web- website is popcojaworld.com. And of course, you're going to join us next episode when we're going to be talking all about 1979's meatballs. You know, it's going to be great. Uh, but until then, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Thank you.